Welcome to Southern New Hampshire University's Social Sciences podcast, Agents of Change. Here we invite students and professionals to chat with us on topics of inclusion and diversity, student success, and their learning experiences. In this podcast, we will hear insights and personal accounts of people who have persisted against the odds and impacted positive social change. Join us as we learn how we can all be positive agents of change. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Laman Tash. During this episode, we will be talking about risks that come with innovation and specific steps which educators can take to balance them to provide our learners with the best educational experience. Our special guest today is Dr. Wyatt. Dr. Wyatt is Associate Vice President of the Nursing, Health Professions, STEM and Business at SNHU Global Campus. For almost two decades in higher education, he has served in different leadership roles and in various areas, including academic program, oversight, student learning experience, curriculum development, course development and design process, accreditation, register, academic strategic planning, and budget management. Thank you for accepting to be here, Dr. Wyatt. Well, that's great. That's quite an introduction. Uh, Thank you. Happy to be here. Recently, especially under impact of pandemic, there have been a lot of discussions about importance of innovation in higher education and the transformative impact that it would bring. In your article that you wrote even before pandemic in 2019, Change in Higher Education for Simple Observations, you highlighted the importance of organizations to integrate change resiliency as one of their core competences. At the same time, change may come with risks, which cause us to take a second look at institutional core competences and call for a different perspective on how we educate our learners. This is what I would like to talk about with you today. And one of my first questions is, why is innovation in higher education so important, especially these days? And what factors besides pandemic affected its importance? Sure. Well, I'm glad you referenced that article simply because in that article, what I was trying to accomplish was to identify that change is a force that we cannot, we cannot escape, we cannot avoid. So what we have to do is prepare for it in a very careful and structured way. Um, and that it, it is actually a, a skill set that we need to, um, to develop, right? A muscle we need to learn how to flex. Um, So in answering your question about the importance of change for higher education, the first thing that I'd like to do is just provide a little context for what I'm thinking and then give my answer. So in that question, I I really immediately think about Peter Drucker. Uh, Peter Drucker was really one of the founding fathers of, of how modern business corporations are conceptualized. And what he said was, innovate or perish. So that's a very like bold statement, right? Um, but what I take out of that statement is the way it highlights what is a really ever-present impact of change and competition on organizations, teams, and even people, right? Even individuals. Uh, okay, so for example, imagine a, a person, an individual who chooses to not use cell phones, right? I will not, I reject using cell phones or mobile technology. Um, they're at a significant disadvantage in terms of how they might navigate 
the world around them today, right? Today's world versus 30 years ago, 20 years ago, um, 10 years ago, right? You think about things like having information at their fingertips, banking and finance, uh, social networks, personal contacts, teleconferencing, navigation, right? Getting from place to place. All those things at their fingertips, wherever they go, as opposed to the person who chooses not to access that. <clears throat> so now what if that was a, that person who refused that technology? Um, what if it wasn't an individual, um, but really an organization? You know, having those, what would become competitive disadvantages would make it really difficult, if not impossible, for them to survive. Okay, so that's part of it. So now overlay that thought on, uh, you know, as I described about competitive advantage or disadvantage with what's called an industry market or product life cycle. So based on, on current thinking of how organizations should behave in order to compete uh, in their respective industries, they should be aware of the type of market that they're competing in. So industries, much, much like products, right? Um, things that we sell, goods and services that we sell, they exist along a life cycle. And that life cycle has four major components, emergence, growth, maturity, and decline. Right. And we love to talk about emergence and growth. We don't so much like to talk about maturity. We never like to talk about decline. But, the, but those are the four conditions, uh, four conditions along the market, uh, along the product life cycle. So in emerging markets, innovation is the critical strategic driver as organizations must innovate disruptively, right? So they, because it's emerging, it's new. So they have to create new operational paradigms to meet the kind of un or underexplored needs of that market, right? The consumers in that market and its other environmental conditions. They have to figure them out um, and figure out how to meet those needs uh, as an organization. But then in growth markets, organizations focus on how to grow. So they've, they've kind of figured out their, the needs of their customer and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we meet those needs and how do we build a very big, broad consumer base? But then in the third phase, which is the growth, I'm um, sorry, which is, so then in the third phase, uh, which is the maturity phase. So really also in growth markets, what organizations focus on is how to expand and grow and build market share through meeting the needs of expanding consumer segments, right? Um, regulations might still be low. It's, it's still a growing marketplace, but opportunity is high because there are lots of different pockets of consumers, consumer needs still available to be explored. But then as more competition emerges, there are fewer opportunities for new consumer segments. Um, the, the regulatory, the competitive environment gets, gets more crowded. Um, and consumers have more choice. So at that point, you move from a growth mindset to a scale mindset. How do you become more efficient? Efficiency, continuous improvement is the more likely type of innovation at this phase as the organization works to drive costs down and compete for market share by taking share from other competitors as opposed to what some call blue ocean strategy, right? Finding new blue um, new open waters that they can compete in so products in this part of the of the life cycle also tend to be the main revenue drivers of the organization if they've made it to mature phase they're usually they've grown their market base they've gone through the growth phase and they're generating significant revenue right so they tend to be the main revenue drivers but then the next thing that happens is new 
disruptive innovations, new market niches, new technologies come along, models, new products that drive these mature markets into decline. And so then as investments in supporting such products are made, um, it, it makes less sense to invest in, in mature, in mature, I'm sorry, in declining markets. Um, and those tend to be phased out, right? Because a new thing is coming along. So I think it's important at this point to just note three quick things um, before I just give my answer to, <laughs> to the, my, my long-winded answer to the question. Um, one, there is actually no timeline for how long a market might take to move from one phase of the life cycle through another phase, right? Um, but in today's world, you know, it, it happens much faster, right? Because of technologies uh, or variables such as technology or communication, uh, kind of globalization and global networks, et cetera, et cetera. These things tend to drive companies, at least through the uh, the emergent and growth phases, a little more quickly than it than it used to in the past. Actually, a lot more quickly. The second thing that's worth noting is emerging industry um, and innovation do not necessarily mean the end of a current mature paradigm, as long as the marketplace continues to show demand for both. Right, both the mature and the emerging product. So I'll give you an example. So um, the emergence of homemade coffee brewers did not mean the end of the coffee shop. Right, um, the markets, the way we use them, the the different perceptual uh, utility and, and needs allowed for the existence of each. And the third thing, the third note I want to make is that organizations that are paying attention, really, they they might. Um, or if not, they should provide products that exist uh, or provide a set of products that address the various parts of the market life cycle, because that helps ensure the longevity of the overall organization, right? So that if you have a product set or a type of product that's in maturity and heading to decline, you have a new and emerging product set uh, that comes in and addresses the needs of the current marketplace. Therefore, the institution can continue to support and meet the requirements of its mission. So really, I, I really took the time to mention the third part um, because the third part is where I see higher education sitting today. You know, if you, if you imagine being in a highly competitive, clearly mature industry, such as your traditional, you know, uh, your traditional institution of higher education, where you think about programs and courses and credit hours and and those types of things, right? Your 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 traditional higher based industry, and even if you think about online, now the emergence of online as a disruptor, we even see that segment of the industry moving toward maturity, as we see lots more competition nationally, internationally operating in that space. Uh, we see more and more regulation that governs what we can and cannot do, and consumers have lots of information at their fingertips and can make uh, lots, many choices about where they go and do not go and spend their consumer dollars, right? So even with online, it's all together a mature industry. Um, in higher education, we see that the overall size of the consumer base is stagnant. Right? You do see some fluctuations based on economic conditions. You know, traditional traditional um, knowledge says that in a recession, you know, enrollments go up, those types of things. Um, overall, uh, it's a fairly stagnant, it's a fairly stagnant consumer base. In fact, there are even concerns about the market moving into the decline because things like pricing, we talk about the price of higher education or outcome attainment, 
you know, yep, graduation, but also we talk about things like the skills gap. Are, are students coming out prepared to meet the demands of today's employer? alternatives, et cetera, have really started to force some established competition out of the marketplace. Um, and so there are indicators that the actual higher ed traditional marketplace is in decline. So to answer your question, these are the conditions, in my opinion, that really highlight why it's important for us to consider continuous improvement as our basis for how we seek to maintain uh, our products that sit in a mature but still viable industry. And innovation here in that space should be aimed at improving how we become more efficient or effective, right? Um, it's a mature industry. So you don't want to run off and do a lot of disruptive innovation. But what you want to make sure is you're always working to, to improve the customer experience, for example. How do you provide better service? How do you improve attainment levels? And in higher education, attainment is really the best measure is students are graduating and going out and getting the jobs and keeping the jobs that they wanted to get as a reason for going back to school or going to school. You really want to think about how you might apply technology to facilitate scale and reduce cost. Uh, lots of thoughts on predictive analytics. How can you help students progress um, by predicting where they might have pockets of need? And even things like focusing on new uh, or already existing subgroups and how we might deliver our products better, more efficiently, um, higher quality, et cetera. So the, in a mature space, in a nutshell, the question is how can we execute better and better on our promise every day. But at the same time, we see emerging markets within the higher education industry that are really quickly moving from emerging into the growth life cycle phase. As more institutions that, <clears throat> that see that, that, that growth and that transition are starting to enter into that, that segment of the market. So for example, in higher education, we know of the need for small, quickly attained, low-priced, career-focused, kind of career-advancing bursts of learning, right? We talk about them, we call them all kinds of things, badges, micro-credentials, et cetera, right? Um, but that more and more employers are seeking these credentials as proof of job skills in lieu of a degree. Uh, and I, you know, when I say in lieu of a degree, I, just, I, I really also need to note here that the need for a conferred degree still overall is the standard um, for jobs of a certain type of uh, type and level of job. Right, so the two things, the emerging conditions and the existing mature market could, can coexist because there's still demand for both. But the new types of educational products require us to think differently and to think disruptively about how we innovate to meet the needs of that emerging and growing market, right? We have to ask ourselves questions like, how do we identify those consumers? What do they need? How do we build products that meets those needs? How, where, when, et cetera, can we deliver those products? And what services do we need to provide when we deliver those products? What does quality mean, right? But then you wrap the ball around it and ask yourself, when you take all those things into consideration, how do we deliver all of that in a high-grade, seamless consumer experience? And so we innovate disruptively here, really not to to break the, the paradigm or the need of the mature products in the marketplace, but we, dis, we disrupt here to provide the organization with capabilities and tools that are necessary to access and provide solutions to meet the needs of the emerging market. Because if we don't, we will literally, we will, we will, we will find ourselves selling rotary phones 
in an iPhone 13 world. Thank you very much. That was really very informative. And you mentioned several times how important innovation is, especially at the growth stage, right? But even to extend that maturity stage. And you mentioned a term of disruptive innovation. Innovations come disruptively. Yes, it comes with a goal of serving needs of customers and needs of markets, but there is this disruptive element of every innovation, and that means risks. So my next next question will be, how do we innovate disruptively, and how do we take all these risks while still doing the right thing, while still being loyal to our values, and not disrupt in in a way that it's destructive, I should say, maybe to our organizations. How, how do we offset risks that come with that need to innovate at every stage, right? At, most importantly, at the three stages of uh, cycle. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so risk, risk comes with innovation because innovation is the space in which you're trying to interpret signals in your environment whether it's in a mature environment or an emerging environment, and provide solutions that are either um, building on what you do now or new and disruptive, right? And disruptive meaning it doesn't break things, but it's, it's changing in uh, taking large steps forward with, with, in terms of how, um, how you meet the needs of an emerging group of consumers. So yeah, there, there are going to be risks. Um, and really, I can think of three risks. So I'll address I'll address three risks of, uh, that come to mind. Um, one of those big risks is trying to drive innovation, but you actually have a fundamental misunderstanding of the marketplace that you're operating in. So, for example, institutions of higher education that might be trying to seek or go after disruptive innovation in their mature product lines versus determining how to enhance or continuously improve how they operate in that mature product line, they might actually be making a mistake. Um, and it's not always a mistake, but it's frequently a mistake. Um, so again, I, I, I don't, uh, this does not include adding online offerings to mature product lines. Right? Um, it, online and in higher education, online and traditional, they're kind of considered the same product, it's just, um, it's just offering that product in a different modality because online, again, is in a mature phase. But exploring and building disruptive innovation is costly and it consumes significant amount, uh, significant amounts of time and resources. Um, and in a mature environment, organizations don't actually really need to incur the cost of research, researching and developing you know, disruptive innovation. Because, again, they come with a set of costs that, uh, because in a mature environment, organizations don't, don't need to incur the costs of R&D and other such costs that are related to disruptive innovations. But instead, they can apply a continuous improvement model to allow them, that allows them to lean on industry standards that exist. Um, and even, yeah, they might exist, but you can customize them, sure. But technologies, vendor relationships with, with various service providers, such as online program managers, right? OPMs is the term, which altogether might allow them to quickly stand up really effective and efficient improvements to how they can provide their products. So if I were to say all of that as a risk, the risk here is if institutions overspend 
on disruptive innovation in a mature space, what actually happens is their ability to achieve significant returns that help them uh, justify the cost of that of building of trying to stand up disruptive innovation in a mature space will require either a commensurate gain in market share, right, that helps them drive revenue, or a commensurate reduction in its cost base, which is achieved through efficiency. And in a mature market, um, where you may already be operating very efficiently, either one, either driving um, market share or improving efficiency, they're both very difficult to achieve, right? So you might not ever, or it might be very difficult for you to recoup cost if you're trying to be disruptive in a, in a mature market space. Um, another risk is really to, related to, and this might be the big one, um, is really related to how we drive value to our customer. So I will, I will go out on a limb, it's not really a limb, um, and I will say that all innovation has to be related to our value proposition. Uh, I'll give you an example. So if I said to you, uh, man, <laughs> if I said to you, I just invented a flying toaster, you know, you might say back to me, wow, that's really cool. But in your head, you might be thinking, what the heck am I going to use that for? What am I going to do with a flying toaster, right? And that's the exact challenge. Innovation of any type has to be focused on how it provides benefit for the existing or emerging customer. And so people sometimes think of innovation as building cool. And building cool is great, right? You know, uh, but building value to the customer is critical. Now, if you can build cool and value, well, you might call that your secret sauce recipe, right? But in the end, it has to drive value. So the risk here, to kind of pull that together into a risk, is innovating around things that don't truly, or either directly or indirectly, add learner value uh, in the higher ed space. They, they, you know, and when you say that, what that really means is it, it doesn't help the learner achieve their goals. It doesn't help them get toward graduation. It doesn't help them if they're looking for self-fulfillment, Job, grow, job growth or job attainment or any of those types of things, right? But it also doesn't help the organization drive toward its financial and other types of performance outcomes, all right? So value, you know, innovating toward a specific thing that drives value is, is critical. Don't just make it up. Don't just innovate for the sake of innovation. And then um, I, I thought about, a th so then the third risk of innovation that I think about is, is, is really just building the wrong thing. Right, a friend of mine used to call it um, <clears throat> right answer, wrong question. Right, and so you have to be able to read the environmental signals and understand what they're saying, and then what you build should be aligned with those signals and, and other things. Right, so no matter the organization, no matter how no matter how solid it, you might think about its P and L, if you think about resources, and forgive the forgive the example uh, in today's environment, but if you think about resources as, as bullets in a gun, no matter how strong your P&L is, no matter how strong your margin base is, anyone has l only gets so many bullets that they can shoot out of that gun, right? Um, so when you fire that off and you miss the target because you've misread a signal in your environment, eventually you're going to run out of bullets because you will not be able to replenish your supply. You're going to run out of margin, all right? So that's a third, to me, that's a third critical risk of of, of uh, an innovation strategy is misreading environmental signals and building the wrong thing. Thank you again. Thank you very much. And uh, if I understand correctly, you talked about three types of risks, but 
a theme there is that we always, no matter what risks we take with that disruptive innovation, right, we have to keep in mind value that is added to the customer. So it can be disruptive maybe for organization, but as long as it takes into consideration needs of the customer, so needs of the market, as long as it reads correctly market, and as long as it serves interests of the customers, those risks are justifiable or necessary. I don't know which word you would use better, but this is when those disruptive risks are kind of worth of taking. Right. Did I understand you correctly? Absolutely. If we were to take all of that and wrap it into one statement, the risk of not doing becomes greater than the risk of doing because you've done your homework, you understand the marketplace, you understand where it's going, you understand your needs. And based on the type of product and its position along that product lifecycle that we discussed, um, the, if you don't do something, taking that risk of not doing be, outweighs the risk of just staying where you are and being status quo. That, that's a great summary. And just to wrap it up, because I know we're coming to the end, what would you be advised to, like, to our educators who are trying to innovate and be risk takers? If you can give them one advice, what would it be? Yeah, you know, there's so many, um, so many smart people in, in higher education uh, who are grappling with the issues of higher education. And I don't know if I'm necessarily in a, in a position to give them a, give advice across you know, across that range of really brilliant people. Um, but from my perspective, if it were me, I, and when it's me, I try to keep certain things um, and certain principles in mind. One, it's the old, it's the old carpenter principle, right? Measure twice, cut once. Um, there's no such thing as a sure bet, especially if you've ever seen me try to do woodwork. There's no such thing <laughs> as a sure bet. Um, but you have to do the work to understand the marketplace, understand your consumers and where the signals are leading. And then you really consider how to move toward a focused innovation strategy, right? What do, you, what do you understand the need to be and focus on driving that thing and addressing that solution or that need? Don't do the inverse of that. Don't come up with a, a solution and then go hunting for a place to put it down, right? Don't cut and then think, oh, now how can I recut? How can I refit? Measure twice, cut once. Um, the second piece of advice I would give is plug into the discipline of innovation. Um, you know, maybe as you're launching, it's it's a little bit less. If you're an emerging market and you're an, an, uh, a new entrant into that emergent market, it's a little bit less discipline that you're trying to figure things out. But even then, when you're thinking about disruptive innovation as becoming a long-term com competitive strategy, or you're in a mature space where you're thinking about continuous innovation, there is actually a disciplined approach to innovation. So use or consider using established methods for undertaking innovation in a structured manner. Or even when individuals who have great ideas that match the needs of the, of the marketplace and the organization, figure out how to plug those ideas into an innovation methodology and strategy. So um, just for reference, you know, one such strategy is the business model canvas that really lays out step-by-step if you're, if you're trying to apply an innovative approach, how you do things like understand the need, understand the stakeholders, understand the market conditions, and takes you through a step-by-step -step approach to, uh, to building uh, innovation and uh, innovative, innovative solution. The third piece of advice I would give would be in that work, don't blow up your organization. Don't splinter your organization off into a million different directions. If I were to so compartmentalize, right? Compartmentalize the spaces in which you allocate resources to innovate based on the market that that work serves. Consider approaches, right? Uh, Deloitte has its, its, its model of how you structure organizations to support innovation. 
and it really builds on the principle that you have a core set of business functions or you have a core business set of business products and that core model you don't want to break that because like i said before that is a space where you really you may be driving a lot of your organizational revenue and, and right and value but that you can you create spaces at what deloitte calls the edge that allows you to think about emerging markets and plan for emerging markets and build disruptive innovation in contained spaces where the two things don't clash each other and and start disrupting and start breaking each other right um so the again um don't split your organization but think about how you uh protect the core while protecting your need to enter emerging markets and do disruptive innovations, protect uh, disruptive the, at the edge. So the, f the fourth thing is be strategic. Don't do innovation, uh, I guess the way to say it would be all willy-nilly, right? Have a Think about it, have a plan. Understand how you scan your environment. Have a plan for that. Understand how you think about your resources, about your capacity, about the dollars that you want to spend on innovation, who the market is, where they sit, how you capture thoughts around how you need to innovate, and then take those and funnel those into a strategy. Right? There are lots of, lots of great ideas, but only a few of those great ideas will align to your mission and purpose, to your customer base, right? your consumer base, to your market position, to your organizational goals, and to your available resources. So that's what you want to get, right? You want to get out of that big pot of, of great ideas, the ones that help you drive value for you, that help you leverage your abilities and capabilities and build value to your, to your, to your, to your customer, right? And so as you think strategy, think about how you might identify, prototype, implement, and test and evaluate opportunities and innovation and innovation solutions. Quickly get rid of what doesn't work. And then those things that do work, how you really expediently bring those things to market, right? Within um, within the organization, supporting supporting the needs of your of your customer. Thank you very much. And in my understanding, again, it all goes back to looking at the big picture and thinking about needs of the people we're serving, especially in higher education, right? Our industry is a little bit different and our industry is impacting directly people's life in so many respects. So thank you so much for your great advice and thank you for being here. Thank you for finding time for us. Well, I appreciate you having me. It's, it's been, um, it's been great to even help me reflect on my own thoughts. Um, but really, uh, the opportunity to, to sit and, and chat with you has been, um, wonderful. So thank you for having me. This is Leman Tash, your host for this episode of Agents of Change. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Southern New Hampshire University's Agents of Change, a social sciences podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us, and be on the lookout for more exciting episodes. Goodbye for now.